everyone and welcome to episode 80 of the retrospectives podcast mushi himasama nailed it my name is patrick arthur and i'm joined as always by my co-host james turlings how you going guys and far more importantly a very special guest george witt of the nostalgia goggles podcast thank you so much for joining us here today george Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. And we're particularly delighted to have you because of James and I's complete inexperience with the bullet hell shooter genre. Uh, <laughs> when James suggested this, I was I, I was interested. I know James has been wanting to do a bullet hell shooter for a while, but then it seemed out of the sky. We have an expert on the genre, or so it seemed at first, coming down to help us. <laughs> Yeah, un- unfortunately, uh, as, as I'm sure we'll get into, is a lot of my experiences with some of the older Bullet Hell games, which was uh, what I played when I was a kid. Um, and then I, 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 I took a, a huge break from the genre, and this is kind of me dipping back into it. And it's uh, it's it's kind of like going back and, and, and checking out your old childhood home after somebody new is living in it. So <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was an interesting experience. I'm I'm stoked to discuss it. Yeah, so so George, we um we kind of stumbled upon your podcast while I was trawling on Twitter, I think, and uh, much to my disgust, you've come up, you have a concept that's very similar to our podcast. But then I found out that you started before us, so we don't even have the claim of being the original and the best. <laughs> we stole your idea, apparently. Yeah, well, it's a it's like convergent evolution, right? You know, so uh, so 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 great minds think alike. <laughs> so so tell us tell us a little bit a bit about your show. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, so our show is called Nostalgia Goggles. So basically, um, we we go back and we play old video games that we either uh, played as a kid or heard a lot about as a kid, and we determine whether or not they hold up, or whether or not in order to play them, you need to view them through nostalgia goggles. So, uh, you know, we played a. Um, we've been doing this now for I think five years. You know, so uh, it, it's been kind of uh, uh, interesting to, and as I'm sure you guys have noticed as well, to kind of see as you go through it how your uh, ability to uh, review games is refined but over the years we played some really really great ones we played pretty much all of the mainstream zelda ones except for the the game boys uh and we played uh super mario we've also played some truly tragic games like home alone 2 and of course uh superman 64 you, you, eventually you've got to play <laughs> superman 64 you know like it... i agree but patrick every time i bring it up he says i'm you know messing with him or something it's, like that what, like... what is the value of playing superman 64 that's what i want to ask you like what what are you getting from it except you know the ability to torture yourself <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah and th- this is the thing james it's about torturing me it's not about creating worthwhile discussion one of the things i i, I just said on that one particularly is is the goal is not to play superman Superman 64 it is to have played Superman 64 <laughs> so yeah it's uh it's um it's it's as tragic as everyone says it is but I do think it is an interesting challenge as a game reviewer to say why it's terrible not just that it's terrible and that was that was the the Everest I wanted to climb and and even after doing it for as long as we had I I was I felt inept to the task it is it is that much of a mess um but uh currently we're playing um Prince of Persia and uh, we're gearing up to play Starcraft with uh with you guys, which I'm very excited about. Original Prince of Persia, right? Yeah, the, the original, like the, the one for MS-DOS. Oh, we were only game enough to go back for Sands of Time and Warrior Within. Not been brave <laughs> enough for that one yet. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's singular. Mm. It's, is that the nice way to say it? It's unique. I um I saw the clip you posted on Twitter, and it was a lot of 
climbing up and up and up over and over again for eight jumps in a row. Yes. It looked uh, quite uninteresting. It is not only that, but the act of doing that is not as easy as it would appear. Like Lions makes it look way easier than it is. I, uh, I actually had to text him while I was playing and saying, am, am I screwing something up? And he's like, no, 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 you're doing it right. And I was like, oh, okay, it's just, it's that, it's that much of a pain. Have, um, <laughs> have you guys found many games that everyone else seems to love, but you just played it and it just rubbed you the wrong way? We found so many titles like that going through, you know, the 80-something mm -hmm. games we've done so far. That's an interesting question. Um, I feel it's justified our show's existence in a large way, actually. It, it, it makes me feel good that so many people are delusional <laughs> because it means that our show has value. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I can't think of too many where, you know, everybody said that the, the game was amazing. But I, I think that for myself, most of the time, the way that we're attacking it is, um, is did it hold up for us? And I will say that there are some games that we've played that I, I remembered crystal clearly in my mind as being an amazing, joyous experience that when I went back and played it, I was like, oh, my God, this is truly terrible. Uh, one of the first ones we played, Golden Axe. I just, I loved that game, played it so much as a kid. And I said, like, all, all of the bad traits I now have as an adult, I think I can blame on Golden Axe, you know, just because it was just so terrible. I'm like, I cannot believe that I thought this was good. This was the equivalent of eating sugar straight out of the bag and thinking that tastes delicious. It does, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, think, um, I think one of the most interesting one of those experiences, I believe it's a game you've covered as well, George, was mm -hmm. Streets of Rage 2 co-op. Because mm -hmm. James and I played that game in cooperative and everywhere we saw online that was that the game was better in co-op, the game was designed for co-op, it's really fun with a friend. And James and I, so as we were miserable. playing... so miserable. I hated it. It was <laughs> miserable. It. Yeah, it, it was specifically miserable as a co-op experience. And when we were able to play it single player by ourselves, our opinions of the game shot up dramatically. Interesting. So it was just, it was just so strange that... We were, we were both, and it's very strange when James and I agree, mm. I'll tell you that much, <laughs> when we were both convinced that the multiplayer was absolute trashed here, but people seem to universally say that the co-op improved the experience. That's interesting, because I'll have to go, go back and listen to, to your episode on that one, because um, Lions and I did find the co-op enjoyable, but it was goofy enjoyable, you know, like, so... I remember particularly a fond memory what, when, when he and I were playing it last year and like I, I went to help him and I grabbed him and I was like, oh man, is this going to be some awesome two-player like dual combat move? Because that'd be so cool. And then I suplexed him into the ground and murdered him. And I was like, oh yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, and that was our problem. And it was entertaining the first time it happened, but mm. it got old fast. Like it, it just, it didn't sit that they didn't I don't I don't understand why it's a co-op game when there's no support for it. I do wonder if it's because we played the co-op before we knew how to play the game. Like maybe if we'd done it in the other order mm. it would have been okay. No. The the game the game worked better when we were sticking to our own half of the screen. Like that's that's not good co-op design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that that uh when Lions and I were playing it, I I would definitely agree with you that if your goal is to progress forward in the game, then co-op can be very frustrating in that game. If, if the goal is for uh, silly shenanigans, then um, I think that the, the co-op is, uh, is helpful in that sense. And, and that was, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I could not have articulated this at the time, was uh, more the, the experience that Lions and I were shooting for was shenanigans, not like mm -hmm. actually 
getting further in the game. And I think that Lions actually, I, I died out way earlier because I was playing as uh, the, the big beefy mm-hmm. guy, Mac, um, who's basically like a palette swap of the Hulk. And uh, I died out real fast, but he, he was playing as, as somebody else and he got actually further. And so, yeah, I think that that's, that may be some of the key difference. Yeah, we're not big into fun here on the Retrospectors <laughs> podcast. That's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so um, listen, I'll just say straight up, if you enjoy what we're doing on the show, Nostalgia Goggles is what we do, but more and in some ways better. Some of that analytical stuff is really fantastic. And particularly if you want a deeper dive on graphics than the half-assed, <laughs> <laughs> half-assed way we do it, then then yeah, um, definitely recommend checking them out. So um, do you just want to plug quickly, like is there a particular website they can find your stuff at? We'll give you another chance at the end of the show, George. Uh, yeah, so basically you can kind of find us on, uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, you can find us on um uh on all, all the, the the normal ways that you can uh you know find find podcasts or on google podcast uh I, I believe that the actual thing that hosts us is fireside as, as i say oftentimes on our podcast i'm just the talent um i have a i have a guy <laughs> i have a guy that does all that for me it's it's my co-host uh but uh um yeah you can find us on twitter you can find us on uh um uh on any any normal podcast app you can find us on patreon where uh, not only do you uh if you pay, pay any any amount of money you get a thing but uh one of the other fun things that we do is if you pay if you if you hit a certain tier, we'll shout your name out on the show. And I, I give a different title every time for whomever does it. And sometimes they're fun and sometimes they're goofy and sometimes they have nothing to do with anything. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and so um, so absolutely, you know, we, we should be relatively easy to find. And uh, and I'm excited to have you guys over because yeah, I listened to some of your stuff and I think that you're, you're correct that we both scratch the same itch, but in slightly different ways. So I don't think that mm-hmm. there's, there's like the, the Venn diagram is not like one circle, you know, like they, they are... <laughs> There is, there's definitely some separation. So um, if you like our stuff, then I think that they'd like your stuff and vice versa. All righty. Uh, so today we're talking about, oh, sorry. I, I should start off with our plug. See, I, I got caught up. So for those <laughs> who have never listened to us before, is if this is your first time listening to Retrospectives, uh, our angle is that we review games from a modern perspective. Critically, we're not a nostalgia podcast like, uh, like George, but maybe even more extreme. Our show is all about reviewing it from a modern perspective with no nostalgia, just evaluating it on the value of the experience it provided us today. Because, you know, there's a million movies to watch, a million games to play, and yet there are still some old games, 20, 25, 30 years old, that are still worth your time. And in we play these classics and we evaluate whether they have stood the test of time and are worth your time, or whether they're garbage trash, uh, <laughs> which are the product of people you know remembering things poorly and we're we're the you know the critical authority on it so we'll tell you how to think exactly that's and and that's what everybody really wants (laughs) yeah and so so the game that james has chosen for this fortnight is mushi himasama and yes that probably took me about 10 attempts typing that in google the first time (laughs) to even find the game uh it's a bullet hell shooter that was developed by a company called cave and it was first released for arcades in the year 2004 it saw a port to the PlayStation 2 just a year later in 2005, and since then has had many re-releases. Um, Xbox 360, uh, iPhones and Android phones, Steam, and most recently the Nintendo Switch. So lots and lots of different versions of this game available on consoles today. To give you a brief idea of the nature of this game, I'm just going to talk a little bit and explain to you the kind of game this is. 
Um, when you fire up the game, you'll immediately get confused because of how many modes and ways there are to experience and play this game. You choose novice, normal, or arranged. That's your first decision. And then finally, and then after you have selected one of those three modes, you then select a difficulty, original, maniac, or ultra. Uh, what you really need to know if you've never played a bullet hell shooter before is play on novice and probably play on original. Play play on the easiest of the easiest difficulty. And then a lot of those other modes are kind of bonus modes once you've kind of put your toe in the water and put in, you know, a good 10 to 15 hours of play because this game gets hard very quickly. Uh, the game is divided into just five stages. So the entire game start to finish if you don't die or you, you know, pop extra quarters in for extra lives probably takes about 20 to 25 minutes to complete. Um, the idea behind a bullet hell shooter is that you're, you've got a top-down view of your ship or craft as the screen slowly auto-scrolls upwards from bottom to top, and you basically destroy every monster or ship that comes onto the screen. In the case of Mushihimasama, it's a bunch of insect monsters or kaijus. Uh, as you progress through each level, you get power-ups and bombs, you encounter mini-bosses and final bosses, and those final bosses gate your progress to the next level. So you're just trying to get through each level while you're being shot out by thousands and thousands of bullets. That's bullet hell. We'll dive into all of these things in a bit more time, but I think the first thing to talk about, the most important aspect of this game by far, <laughs> is the story. <laughs> so we'll start with you, James. <laughs> What what did you think of this shining masterpiece of a story? Were you emotionally engaged? Did you think it was a work of art, or or am I am I being a little bit too high? Uh, maybe a little bit too high, <laughs> to be honest. Until I was about twelve hours into the game and had finally finished it with one clear, I uh, didn't even know it had a story. But uh, you know, once you finished that last boss, <laughs> you treated to a nice, you know, five ten minute cutscene. Um, unskippable, cut unskippable. Scene. Yeah, but you can <laughs> at least alter for after the, you've seen it a few times. So you know, uh, it's it's kind of there. But this is you know, this kind of game is. It's really like a pure gameplay style game in my mind. Uh, the the shoot 'em up genre to me is like one of the purest forms of gameplay there is. Uh, so you know, story really that relevant here? I don't think. I I think that for my seat is I, I agree completely. Is that there there's the, the the story is first of all it's bananas just what yeah. what it's actually <laughs> talking about. But uh but not only that is that uh is that when we're talking about like the you know core aesthetics right? Is that narrative is not one of them. Like you don't you don't boot up mario for the deep storyline and the emotional resonance between mario and peach and the intense rivalry with bowser right you you, you do it for challenge you do it to, to clear the level and uh and they they definitely knew what, what they were going for here and they said no nah, we're doing a challenge aesthetic not not narrative you're not you're not playing this this isn't final fantasy 7 yeah so so basically you go into the forest to murder giant insect mechs i don't know if they're mechs or not but the point is someone's they're just, been they're just them. big insects they are the coach why do they have guns then answer uh, that james answer that loophole I, I think i think i think that the issue is in america uh insects do have guns uh so that, that might true. be a, That's you know. true. <laughs> these are american enough insects. guns for every insect yeah, yeah exactly yeah, and... it, it, it is a very american themed game yeah. isn't it, guys? <laughs> so so yeah basic story you go into the forest you find someone 
listen, who gives a fuck? And like the story <laughs> may as well not exist. As uh, as George said, it's basically uh, Mario and Peach, and that's really all you need to know. So with with that out of the way, let's move on to something that has a bit more substance with it. Let's move on to gameplay structure. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with some broad broad strokes gameplay ideas before we move on to the moment-to-moment gameplay and other aspects. So George, we're going to start with you. But before we started, you had a, um, a broad idea that you were kind of introducing about the nature of the play experience. Can, can you... Can you explain that to us all and we'll 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 have a chat about it sure absolutely so basically um there, there's you know ta- taxonomies there's a million different taxonomies and different ways to classify things and, and they're, they're they, they can be helpful and one of the ones that i think is helpful in this case is um what's called plan practice improvise right so it's basically types of gameplay within a game and which one the game capitalizes on and, and decides to focus on versus which ones it kind of pushes to the side. Some games use a mixture of all three. Some games focus entirely on one. And there's there's no right or wrong answer. Um, but I think that, that when you look at it through this lens, it's helpful. So improvisational gameplay is when you have no idea what's coming next, right? So that would be um, typically like the ones that are exemplars of this are like, uh rogue roguelikes roguelites um games that are meant to be beaten in in one go you know um so and there are some games that that don't have this entirely but do use some of this so for example in grand theft auto when all of a sudden you accidentally blow something up and now all of a sudden all the cops are after you you're suddenly improvising right you you could even put um generic first person shooters under this label right because you're not making a specific plan you're just reacting to stimuli Yes, so there is um, some improvisational gameplay in that, but you could make the argument that they can also fall into practice gameplay, where Mm -hmm. those are static scenarios, right? So um, Mario Brothers would be an example of like practice gameplay, where it's the same every time, right? So uh, Mario would be an example of where it's like there is some improvisational gameplay, but really you can master it over time. And so with um, first-person shooters, it it, it depends on the first-person shooter, you know, like so... Mm -hmm. Um, like Doom, which I know you or Doom Two, which I know you guys played, uh, you know, like that. I would say has some improvisational gameplay because the way you move changes the way that the other the the uh, monsters react to you, and so you can create a completely different scenario every time. But it is static every time when you when you come into it. So there is some practice, some improvise. I wouldn't say any game is really like one or the other, although maybe you could make the argument that something like speedrunning is entirely practice. But, you know, if you take something like Tetris, for example, right, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you could say that it's improvisational because you don't know what block's coming down next. But, you know, you've played Tetris so long, you've seen every possible combination Mm -hmm. by then. So, you know, it's 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 somewhere in between both. Right. Yeah. And so so then there's there's actually the the third one uh, plan. Whereas is where you can kind of it is it is kind of that hybrid to a degree where it's like you can come up with you know the game well enough to come up with a plan for what's supposed to happen. But then people or the game throw stuff at you that kind of causes you to tweak that plan as you go along. Right. So so Tetris kind of tends to fall into that category where it's like, already I know I know what my plan is. I know where I'm going to kind of put these blocks. But then. I mean, as we've all played, you know, like you, 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 you make the place for that line piece, but now all of a sudden you're 50 more pieces in and the Tetris God has yet to give you that line piece that you need. So you're, <laughs> you're, you're forced to improvise yeah. a little bit. <laughs> so um, I say all that to say that typically 
um, bullet hells tend to fall into practice gameplay, right? So the the joy that comes out of this type of game in, in, in my own personal experience uh, is, um, or, or at least from what I'm seeing in this game, is the joy is in uh, mastery of the game you know, in, in learning all of its little tweaks and all of its little nuances, and then saying like, okay, this guy fires off this pattern in this way, he does it the same way every time. And so I know exactly how to thread that needle and having that degree of mastery brings joy, right? And that for me personally, a lot of the times where I struggle with um, practice gameplay games on the show and where I kind of have to uh, divorce my initial uh, thoughts from it is that I I never really feel like when whenever we do it a, a practice style game for the podcast that I have enough time to develop that mastery, you know. So um mm. so I and I feel that uh, that that over time the practice style gameplay has become more and more a staple of the bullet hell genre than, uh, and they've kind of like eschewed some of the improvisational gameplay, which tends to be where I find more joy in, in playing video games. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's kind of that taxonomy. And I, and so my assertion then off of that is that this game is, you know, they, they, every game has a mixture of all of them, but as opposed to being like kind of a, a, a broader mixture that this game is like 90% practice, like, you know, 5% improvise, 5% plan, you know? Um, I kind of agree with you, although I think you're underselling how much improvisation and planning there was, because a lot of the times when I'm playing this game, I kind of understand, you know, the attack patterns of the enemies I'm going into, but generally um, patterns have this tendency to follow your movement across the screen, and I'm pretty... I, I wouldn't do the same movement on every boss every time. I always do something a little bit different. And so I often find myself in, you know, situations that I, I got myself trapped in a corner by mistake. Stuff like that happened mm -hmm. all the time where suddenly my plan's out the window and it's just <laughs> down to, you know, improvising those little dodges over and over until I can get the boss down. But like, I tend to agree that this is mostly a practice game, um, mm -hmm. but you know, I think it can definitely veer off when you uh, make a few mistakes in a row and suddenly everything's out the window. So I would say that this is a practice game. I think that is a fair description, but I think it's one that has a fundamental problem structurally, and that feeds into the live system. Mm -hmm. So basically, with the way this game is set up, there are two options for playing through. You have the option of going for a one-credit clear, mm -hmm where you have a set limited number of lives, which as you play through the game is a total of six lives or the live you're on and five extra lives. Or you can keep pumping quarters into the machine and have infinite lives. Those are only two options. Mm -hmm. There's there's nothing else. And to me, this was a major problem with the game because my experience playing this game was that basically I think that the problem with infinite lives is that you effectively remove all challenge from the game, right? Agreed. You have infinite lives, you can keep pumping quarters until you finish. There is zero challenge. You just play the best you can and you're going to get through no matter what, like uh, unless your your keyboard breaks and you can't press the um, extra quarter button, you're, you're going to win. <laughs> yeah. The other other side of it is going for a one credit clear which is playing for the 25 minutes, playing the entire time with your limited set of lives. And if you run out of lives, you start again. And I think that the, I guess the key problem with this, the reason I don't like this structure 
it's extremely punishing if you play perfectly for 15 minutes, uh, get through the first few levels without losing any lives, and then you you lose all your lives in the later levels because it means that you have to repeat a bunch of content that you're kind of uninterested in, in that isn't too challenging. That It becomes an endurance test rather than a test of your abilities to deal with the thing that you were finding challenging. I think there's a third way to do this um, that you might have missed. Um, so if you die, um, you can select restart um, and it'll put you back to the start of the level with the lives and the bombs that you had when you first got to the level. So say you didn't die on the first three levels, then when you restart the fourth level, you know, you'll have that many lives again and you can try it again. Um, so I think you can definitely go through the game that way and it's a much more satisfying experience than credit feeding, which I hate as well, um, but less punishing than going for the one coin clear. Uh, the game also features practice mode, um, which lets you just play um, the stage of your choice over and over until you get it down. I definitely did that for stage three when I was well, moving up from the novice game mode to original, um, and I found that immensely helpful. So I do think there are options in the game that allow you to have a more satisfying progression if it, you're struggling with it. But you do have to kind of go out of your way to do this. Um, the game doesn't just hand you a nice, clean progression system off the bat. And I think that, that from my seat, that that was one of the big detractions for me for the game, is that um, that, that, that progression system wasn't very clear to me off the, uh, off the top of the hour. And then, um, you know, to, to your point, is that it, if, if challenge is the core aesthetic, right? Can, can I get from point A to point B, right? The main uh, thing in a in an arcade cabinet is you have a set number of quarters and you you either clear it or you don't you know and the better you play the more you get to play right that's lost when it when it ports over right and and I we played similar games like uh, Rampage that I loved as a kid uh, where when they ported it over they just removed the coin op part part of it and uh, and it's like oh so now this is just building punching simulator you know and so for my seat is that it, it became interesting because. To me, in a game like this, one of the main things is is that so there is challenge. There is the the goal of getting better at it, but there's also discovery, right? So it's it's a, or exploration where it's like, oh, what's what's next? What's the next level look like? What's the next big boss look like? What's the you know what insane new thing is 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 on the horizon? And when the answer is all I have to do is press start to find out, the game kind of becomes on rails, you know. So basically, this game is clearable is if you just hold down the fire button and press start intermittently you'll eventually clear it, you know, because it, there's no, uh, uh, nothing to really stop you from doing that. So then I, I felt less like I was a pioneer adventurer forging my way through this, uh, through this onslaught of enemies and more like I was at, you know, uh, uh, Disney World or Six Flags, uh, you know, like in, in one of those uh, uh, rides where you just sit down and they kind of like show you screens of like the future or, or what have you. So, <laughs> um, so I felt that the game needed some additional things other than score as an extrinsic motivator to uh, um, kind of push you to play and improve on the game. Yeah. So, so James, one of the, th one of the comparison points I'd bring up is probably Celeste because mm. Celeste has the equivalent of one credit clears in its golden strawberries, right? Mm -hmm. Get through this entire sequence of challenges without dying once. It's not exactly a one credit clear, but it's, but it's close. 
And that is the end apex thing that you do right at the end of the game once you've done everything else. I feel like this experience would have been dramatically better if there was a checkpoint at the start of each level and when you died, uh, you got sent back to the start of the level, even if it just gave you one life. That would have been a better experience because it would have been a set chunk of challenge that I'd have to overcome in order to progress. As it was, I felt the, the restart option clearly specifies that you know, it's not real and like your score doesn't count and everything. In addition, it still has that issue with, uh, with cum- you know, it being cumulative. So you could get to a point on like stage five where you have no lives, I guess, and then you're not continuing. The, the design of the game isn't built around this idea of having checkpoints or chunks of reasonable challenge for you to overcome. It's built as a one credit clear slash quarter chugging sort of game and then they've slotted in options all over the place to turn it into somewhat reasonable game design so you you guys didn't like that at all right you guys aren't you guys aren't into that kind of gameplay let 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 me put it this way i was playing on novice uh maniac which is like the second easiest difficulty and i was getting to level four with four or five lives and then the first three levels I was losing at least on like probably about one life on average. And then I was dying consistently somewhere on stage five. I don't want to waste my time going through levels one through three over and over and over again. Just, just not interested in doing that. Uh, what I, I, I just, I just would rather not do that. So you know what I did, James, I bumped up the difficulty to normal, normal maniac. And I was playing through that, having a more enjoyable experience from the start of the game to when I died. And I was doing that over and over again because to me that was more fun engaging from start to finish than doing a bunch of boring stuff as part of an endurance race and then getting to the interesting content. Well, and and I would actually, I would make the the argument that, um, so, and you guys are probably familiar with this, but years ago in World of Warcraft, right, they were dealing with the idea of people spending too much time playing their video game, which is a great problem to have, right? And so what they did was they introduced an exhausted mechanic. They're like, if you don't, if you play for more than eight hours consecutively, you get less experience and you get less gold, right? And so then, and everybody hated it. Like they, they, they and you know how people can get on the internet, right? The flame wars everywhere, right? So then all they did was they made the exhausted state the default state. So you are always exhausted. And then if you spent more than eight hours off of the game, you became well-rested, which put you back at the old default thing right and everybody loved this mechanic because they loved being well rested right i say all that to say that i think that the way in which the game presents what the default mode of play is is important so for my seat right is that like the way i i was playing it is i was like oh i'm just putting more quarters in because that was was the default mode of play when it was an arcade cabinet and they stayed true to that in the port um i think that if they said the default way of playing is you know instead of giving you all these options that you don't really know what any of them mean at the beginning saying like there's default mode and to use your example like with with celeste as they say here's how you play the game if you can't play the game then here's the assist mode but they're very clear like this is the way to play the game and then here's the assist mode you know so i think that if the game naturally went to okay there are a series of checkpoints you have this many lives and this is how you get get to see the game but if you want to put on infinite quarters mode, go for it. Just put yourself on rail, see the whole game. If you uh, want to play it harder or easier, then then you can tweak your experience. But that this is the default mode of play, as opposed to giving you the ability to 
kind of a la carte order that at the beginning when you don't really know what you're ordering necessarily. Yeah, that's interesting because I guess I came into the experience like thinking of this as a one coin clear game. Like I was going into this episode mm. thinking I want to do at least a couple of the difficulties without like dying once. Um, so to that mm -hmm. end, I only I, I got up to I did novice maniac without dying, uh, or not not without dying, but without you know <laughs> credit feeding eventually. That took me, mm -hmm. you know, it took me quite a while. I'd say um, I guess I'm probably higher on practice style gameplay. It sounds like than you guys are because mm -hmm. my experience was that you know this game was a lot of fun. Basically, um, I had a lot of fun. It took me like. 12 hours maybe to get that clear but like once i did it i felt like amazing i recorded the gameplay um and it was a really satisfying you know achievement for me to get that um and then i had you know this pat problem patrick's describing where i was trying to do because once you go up from novice to normal and you drop it down to like not original you know, the easy difficulty. Um, there's mm -hmm. a lot fewer bullets than there are on Novice Maniac, but they're a lot faster. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that I, like, would die to getting bored on the first two stages more than anything. <laughs> so like Patrick, I went up to playing on Maniac, um, and the furthest I got was, like, midway through stage three on Maniac before having to slot in a credit. Um, but is it really a problem with the game that you know, Patrick, you were playing on a difficulty that was probably not engaging enough for you. Like it has like nine plus difficulty options, right? No, it, let, let me put it this way, James. Like what if when you were playing Celeste, the default mode was golden strawberry mode? Like it, I, I like my challenge to be in somewhat discrete chunks and I'm not... I'm not dismissing the satisfaction you got from one credit clearing. And I'm actually quite irritated that I kept falling just shy of <laughs> one credit clearing the game. Like, don't get me wrong. I get it. And I, I think it's an awesome accomplishment. And I, I think it's, it's, it's a cool thing. I'm just saying that shouldn't be the default way you engage with this game. If I was playing Dark Souls, James, and I had to, if, if when I died, I had to repeat an entire area like 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 an area that took me 20 minutes to get through just to fight the boss again i would like that game a lot less than the faster way that you can get to the boss after unlocking shortcuts the longest the boss run might be it might be 20 seconds and honestly i think that the modern games which just put a bonfire directly in front of the boss are better because then you have a discrete challenge in front of you that you get to try and try and try again and then progress my problem is that the discrete challenge of this game is the entire game. And I don't think that is a very welcoming kind of presentation for a new player. And I think that it's basically tied to the fact that originally this was an arcade machine. I think that when they created the port for this game, they needed to have a radical rethink of how to structure the game and have the one credit clear be a end game component instead of the primary way that you're expected to engage. I mean, with they the game. did include the practice option, so you could load up the level you wanted to play rather than going through the others, right? Like, uh, how much did you care about getting a high score? Like, was that a deal break? Like, did you care about it so much that you didn't want to play the practice mode? Because I feel like you're dismissing this option. Like, it's definitely there. For me personally, um, one uh, score for me is is always a, I, I I'm not a, a fan of of extrinsic motivators in games. So in terms of extrinsic motivator like that, that would be the 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 thing that is like 
you, you, you're playing the game to get. So like a high score, extra levels, things like that, right? And then intrinsic is like when you're, when you're actually just enjoying the game for the sake of the mm-hmm. game, right? And so whenever somebody says, oh, well, you know, there, there's a score, I'm like, I, I just, I could not possibly care yeah. less, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like it, we're, the, it, we're the same, we're it, the same. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so um, so so for me, that's, that's, just, that's just not a, a great motivator. And I think that, I don't think that this was like a, a cash grab in the sense that they didn't just say, we're gonna, we're gonna port it as is and, and get more money, right? You know, I think that they did make an attempt to um, to port it and say like, okay, well, let's let's add this mode and let's add that mode. But they, I think that um, yeah, I, I get I get what you guys are trying to say. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that it sounds to me like, see, I think this is a very fair criticism of the structure of the game, of the way it onboards new players. It's very like all these options are non-obvious. It doesn't give you, you know, it doesn't tell you what modes to play, but. It, it almost sounds like you guys are criticizing the game as if these options don't exist. Well, no, because what's the purpose of the practice room, James? It's to practice for a one credit clear. Like, I mean, I understand that it's not just a linear video game. I get that there are all these components in here, but it's all geared towards that one credit clear thing. And I guess what I'm saying is I think the structure of one credit clear as the primary game mode that you're expected to engage with is fundamentally less interesting and less well-designed than having your challenge more discreetly broken up in different encounters throughout the video game. Now, you might think that one credit clears are fine and that that's also okay. I'm just saying that one credit clear is a concept to me is the is like a mastery level challenge it's something i might be interested doing after sinking 40 to 50 hours in a video game it's not what i want to engage with as like my first bullet hell shooter and also too i think i think that you know this game does does laser focus on the 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 challenge core aesthetic which is great you know if that if challenge gameplay is your thing then this game does that and it does it very very well right Uh, especially because it does give that 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 golden strawberry so so to speak to, to to aim for but where i think that it um is is all of the other kind of core aesthetics right so we've already said that it just throws narrative out the window that's fine doesn't have to attempt all of them right but um but you know like uh as far as exploration or community or um uh fantasy or things like that like there, there are other core aesthetics that it just it doesn't really try to touch on any of those it just laser focuses on challenge so what that means then is that if challenge isn't necessarily your your end-all be-all then the game's going to feel a little bit flat so what it does is it is it kind of narrows its audience which again not necessarily a bad thing and especially from a business standpoint right if you're like we're already making money hand over fist on the arcade cabinet this is just an additional source of revenue it's not going to stop us from making the game or making our profit back on it not not a bad idea but i think that 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 to me is where where it is is that it's it's it it laser focuses on one core aesthetic of gameplay and uh and and because of that it may not hit as many audience members as uh, as some other games might i completely agree with that absolutely like this is definitely a very niche title um and if you're not interested in that kind of you know uh, playing the game repeatedly, trying to get better and better, it's probably not going to be super fun for you. Like, I guess my biggest criticism of the game is that there's only five stages, basically. So, you know, once you play it for a long time, it gets pretty monotonous. Um, I found that honestly that the different difficulties had such a variety of patterns that I was able to play yeah I've got like 25 hours in this game now um until I was you know like I just you know I've played every single stage so many times now I'm done 
and I can definitely see like a lot of people there's I, I mean there's other shoot 'em ups out there that have like you know like 50 stages and you get to you know save your progress midway and play through a whole bunch of cool different stages this this is definitely not that game this is the you know the laser focus as you said uh on getting that one coin clear and that you know I, I'll agree with you guys that will definitely turn some people off yeah I I just I I guess the thing is I think that I like challenging games as well I just find that the concept of a one credit clear as being the default modes just just a bit too yeah, much you, for yeah me. you hate repetition right like you <laughs> hate grinding out stuff like that like doing the same thing over and over is like the worst thing you could possibly do in terms of games right well, well yeah it, well the thing is like i said i i stepped up to uh the original sorry not original to to normal maniac even though it was kicking my ass because at least I was getting my ass kicked from moment one <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of sleepwalking f- through the first couple of stages. Well, and, and I think that, um, you know, from my seat is that, you know, like there's, I, I, I also, I, so I agree with you completely, like like that like that type of repetition, I, I, I hate that, right? And so the games that I do like that, um, that, that feature challenge as a core aesthetic also have some degree of exploration as well, and not necessarily exploring the level to level, which this game does have. But um, so uh, take to, to give two examples, um, an old school bullet hell game that I, I loved was UN Squadron, right? Um, which I, I'm not sure if you guys have played it, but basically you're, 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 you're an Air Force pilot and, uh, and you're trying to stop bad guys. I, I don't, I don't know. Narrative was also not a big one in that one either. Um, but what happened was as you went through and you went through the stage, you got money, not, not a score. And then you could use that money to buy new ships and to buy new weapons and the new weapons interacted with the environment in a different way. And so getting to discover all of that kept me engaged in the game. Similarly, another example would be uh, Gungeon, right? So Gungeon has the in- near infinite exploration of all of the different guns you can pick up in that, uh, in that game, right? And so that's what kept me engaged and kept me doing the same monotonous task is because every time I got to a treasure chest, I was like, oh my goodness, what, 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 could, be in, what could be in this? You know? And so that, that discovery, that exploration kept me engaged. Uh, this game d- doesn't have that, which again is fine. Like if challenge is your thing, then that's fine. But because it, it has that, that very like narrow palette, um, I was like, oh, okay, well, it's it's it, now it's just re- repetition for the sake of mastery, and and that's it, and that's what kind of made me kind of pull back from it a little bit. Did you guys discover like little interesting bits about the gameplay as you played? Because when I in my first like, I'd say fifteen hours of the game, I felt like I was constantly understanding the game a little bit better. Um, you know, to start with, it was stuff like you know, there's a rapid fire button and a single shot button. You know, when I first booted up the game, I had no idea what the difference between these two was. And then later on, I was like, oh, this slows you down so it's easier to dodge really hectic bullet patterns. Um, And then, you know, later on, I was going through level three and I realized that if you kill the end of the big bug in a certain way, it pops out an extra life. I didn't know that. Um, you know, so so James, I, I think I think all that stuff is worth exploring. Um, but what we'll do is we'll jump to a music break and then we'll talk a bit more about the moment to moment game. Sure. Um, so I actually really liked the music in this game. Uh, I played it for like there's five stages. There isn't a huge amount of music, and I don't think I turned the sound off once. Um, I like basically every song in this game. Uh. I'd say standout tracks are probably maybe the fourth level's music theme and the first. Um, but overall, I was really impressed. I think they did a really good job of... Um, we'll go into a bit more later, but the levels are, like, timed. 
because you know the the screen is constantly scrolling and i think they did a pretty good job of matching some of the music tracks to where you were in the stage for that time so uh i just constantly noticed little bits of music flourishes when something happened on the screen so for me uh the soundtrack knocked it out of the park yeah, I, I agree completely. I, I really enjoyed the music on this one. Um, I felt that the music was very um, well tied to the theming of the game, you know? Mm. So it, it's not like uh, very deep, dystopian, grungy, you know, like, or, or, or like heavy metal, you know, like this, this is, this is not Doom 2016, right? You yeah. know, like it's not, <laughs> it doesn't have that, because that, that wouldn't mesh, right? You know, so I think that they did a great job getting the sound to uh, mesh with the gameplay. And one of the other things that they did that I really appreciated with the sound was that um, there's, there's tons of like really awesome sound effects that, that make you feel great. And you need that in this type of game, but the, the, the firing of bullets, it has a sound, but it's ducked. And I thought that was because otherwise it would be uh, like Mario walking in uh, in Donkey Kong, the original Donkey Kong, you know, yeah. um, where it's just that 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 godforsaken boots, rubber boots on linoleum squeaking nonstop. Right. Like that. That's awful. Right. So the fact that they were able to, to um, take a game where almost definitionally there's nonstop sound effects happening and still make a, a beautiful soundtrack that and balance those those two sound qualities i thought was very uh, very well done that that's a great point actually like just just in general and we'll touch on the visuals as well but so they somehow managed a balance of the sound and aesthetic where it's still fu- you know very functional for, for gameplay uh, so with me, with this soundtrack, I don't think we've ever done a soundtrack like this where I've both actively hated and deeply loved different <laughs> tracks to the same degree. So basically, there are four tracks on this soundtrack that I would describe as generic anime happy bullshit, <laughs> which I did not enjoy at all, like completely bounced off them. I took my headphones off whenever those uh, tracks were on, but the boss music both the regular boss music and the final boss music and the underwater track for level four i love to pieces and uh the particular highlight i want to pick up with the boss music is james uh mentioned the timing uh the way the boss music comes in the boss music starts before the boss is on the screen and then it builds up to this little uh snare drum kick and then the boss fight starts and every single time it happened i never once got sick of it and i always slammed those headphones on whenever the boss music came back so i have music that i absolutely adored and music that i loathed <laughs> all in the same soundtrack normally there i are knew a lot you more were gonna hate some of the songs on this soundtrack like i was like when i when i got to level four i was like oh, this is the song that patrick will pick for the episode it's because <laughs> it, it, he can't deal with the like the poppy you know upbeat tempo uh, stuff that was it's way too it's so great it's so great <laughs> um but like you i love the boss fights and the timing specifically after you the bosses have like i guess checkpoints almost not 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 save checkpoints but there'll be a bit where you damage the boss enough that it'll explode and go into like phase two and i think the music is timed such that as you get it to phase two, it starts playing this really tense music and a really crazy bullet pattern comes out of them. And I love that every single time as well. Um, so yeah, it's great. Yeah, so so what, what song are we going to do, James? You, you can pick first. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to pick one of the songs that Patrick probably likes the least just because I get a kick <laughs> out of it. Yeah. So I'm just going to go with the stage one theme because I love it to bits. Um, so this is Mushihime-sama's stage one theme. 
that was the stage one theme. Uh, Patrick, I'm sorry to put you through that again. I know you are. <laughs> Even though I suffered through stage one like over a hundred times at this point, I still love uh, every single time the huge monster appears on the screen and it syncs up with the soundtrack. I just love that bit. Um, it's fantastic. So, yeah. So before um, before we went to this music break, James, I believe I rudely interrupted you trying to delve into some of the more moment-to-moment gameplay i guess the the depth of the moment to moment gameplay that you uncovered as you were kind of navigating your way through the game well george was talking a bit about this idea of exploration and experimentation um and i do think that's not a huge focus in this game but for me it was there to some degree um when you play this game you get to choose three different bullet types to begin with so there was for me at least uh, a lot of experimentation with trying you know the different bullets to see what they were good at what they were bad at um you know learning things like you know to me in every video game ever made having high speed is the best thing ever and it can never be bad um, and then I realized, you know, 20 hours in that actually going slow has its benefits in this game, which I, you know, hadn't noticed up until that point. Um, you know, stuff like that, stuff like finding hidden lives on the stages. Well, there's one, out there's how one this... hidden life, right? Like there's exactly one. Yeah, and then figuring out how to get more through scoring, and then that led into me trying to figure out how to keep my score up to get the most number of lives from my score. You, you had, there, there is a cap on just two lives, you realize that, yeah? Yes, you can. And then originally I was only getting the one um, on Maniac, oh. and then I eventually got both. Um, once Interesting. I, started... I, I got two like immediately, mm. as in it was obvious about level three was when I got my second life. Yeah, and where you get them is important too. Like uh, getting them earlier mm -hmm. is definitely better, I found, um, and that was really important for me. Um, you know, stuff like you get more score if you're playing riskily at the top of the screen, figuring that out. Um, you know, there was there was bits. I wouldn't say I learned a heap compared to other games in this game, but to me there was that element of experimentation and learning a little bit at least. And that's interesting. No, I, I, I like that. So I, I think that what I, and this is just a preference thing, right? But what I prefer and what this game does differently is that, so this game has a, low breadth but great depth of exploration right so the, so the idea mm -hmm. is that like you have to have a high level of mastery to really get some of those explorations right you have to be good enough to get a high enough score to to even be able to come to the table to discover that you can get more lives in that fashion mm -hmm. right whereas um a lot of games uh or, or the games that the, the bull hells i like is that there's a greater breadth but lower depth so so you know in for example un squadron right i mean like right off the bat, they're like, hey, look at all this stuff that costs money and, you know, you can get money and, and pay for it, right? You know, so, uh, or in, in Enter the Gungeon, like you're going to discover new guns just by virtue of having a heartbeat and two thumbs, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that this game does, you, and, and I would have missed this, so I, I appreciate the 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 redirect is, uh, um, it does have, it does have some exp uh, exploration and some discovery, but it's, uh, it, it, it requires a high level of mastery of the game in order to really, get that and i i do agree that um it took me a little while but i did all, all of a sudden find out oh you move you move slower when you're when you're rapid firing so that actually because initially my note was um why would why don't they make the default controller pattern firing the gun right like why am i being forced to sit here and and, and hold down x there's no reason for me to ever not be firing until all mm -hmm. of a sudden it's like oh wait i move faster when i don't fire 
um, that's super. Now there's a reason, right? Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And there's some, you know, on stage three, you don't want to be firing constantly because you'll miss the bonus life. It, there's not a heap to it. And I kind of agree that a lot of it is locked behind. I don't even know about skill. It's kind of like a mindset thing to me. Like me personally, I, my favorite things about video games is optimization. Like I love mm. card games where I spend, you know, hours in the deck builder trying to figure out what the most efficient set of 60 cards is uh, i like playing stuff like you know path of exile making characters out of you know all the crazy options there are and this game kind of tickled that itch really well for me um, because i got to try to be really efficient with each stage try to memorize the patterns that kind of thing um, but, you know, that's definitely not for everyone. But for me personally, this game did a great job of tickling that itch. Um, and I was able to play like large amounts of it, you know, in a fairly short amount of time because of that. So I was making light before, James, while you were speaking, but I actually agree with you that the moment to moment gameplay in this game is actually extremely fun. I. Uh, the more I played, the more I got engaged with trying to steer my ship through these tiny gaps and patterns. And one of the reasons I was getting frustrated was that level four and particularly level five for me at that time was where the game was getting really fun. Like there were these difficult patterns from multiple ships that were difficult to avoid. And then I kept getting sucked away from that challenge you know, like I, I, it's just like, oh, I gotta, I gotta go through those first three stages again. When, when really I wanted to be, you know, swiftly dodging between those tiny gaps. And I think that everything you said is true. Like uh, the discovery of slow versus fast move speed. One of the big ones for me was the actual size of your hitbox. Yes, yes. Uh, because <laughs> it is minuscule like mm -hmm. it is it is so small it it fits through what appears to be solid it, it, there there are patterns where you're seemingly fitting through two solid bullets like mm -hmm. that's how that's how small it is uh, on the note of the hitbox my opinion while playing this game and it hasn't changed is that i would prefer if this game had your character depicted as a pixel hitbox <laughs> Like yeah. if, if if your character was just literally the pixel hitbox that destroyed you, get rid of the bug, get rid of the woman riding on the bug. I just want a little hitbox. I didn't like the lack of clarity in determining um, where your where your hitbox was. That's interesting because I was the exact opposite here. Basically, the way I felt about this was, you know, if you hold down shot, it'll show you your hitbox. It's very small and it's actually smaller than the visual. It's smaller than that. Yeah, yeah that's part of my yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's actually, it was actually really beneficial for that to be the case because it allows me to play um, looking at the whole screen rather than focusing directly on my character and I can play with my peripheral vision, you know, good enough because, you know, mm. if I make a little mistake out of the corner of my eye, um, it's not actually touching my character's hitbox, you know, I, I, like in my eye, I can see my whole model and then the actual hitbox is much smaller than that. So I don't have to be staring at that one pixel for the entire time that I'm playing. And that allows me to do that. I think this is a, a pretty common thing amongst these like Danmaku bullet hell shooters is to have a hitbox that small um, so that, you know, it basically does that. Um, so I, I quite liked that it was a lot smaller. I felt like it made me play more accurate than I needed to be, um, without 
having my eyes glued at the bottom of the screen. I, I will say for me that I, so I, I was really torn over this because my, the way I experienced it going in was um, like pure rage because I could not, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, because it took me so long to figure out what my hitbox was, you know? Um, and, and so one of the, the uh, rules, and I don't know why we came up with it, but one of the rules on, on nostalgia goggles was we're not allowed to do research outside of the game with like, it has to be purely based on experience. And so uh, I was getting really frustrated. I was like, oh, wait, I can, I can do research for this one. You're allowed to. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm allowed to do research. So I immediately hopped online. I was like, what is up with the hitbox? And it's like, oh, it's the little um, golden thing. So, or the, the, the white, you know, sphere within you. I was like, okay, now, now that I understand that once I understood it, I was like, all right, it, I like the idea. And this, this is kind of straying in the visuals a little bit, but the idea that it's like, all right, well, if you're, if your hitbox is, that small, right? It's kind of difficult to make a, an, an interesting sprite or something fun visually for something that small. And if you make the hitbox the size of the actual sprite, which is visually interesting, now you can't create as complex uh, uh, bullet patterns because you, it, it won't fit, you know? Um, so mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so I think, I think they made the right decision, but I could have used a little bit more of the leading the horse to water on where my hitbox was. And then uh, the, 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 realization i came to is i was like well why would they do that because you know this way you have to eat four quarters at the beginning of the game just to figure out what your hitbox is right so i was like no i i suddenly like like realized why the why of all of it and i was like i i i re i understand it and i empathize with it and i still don't like it i don't have anything better like i can't i can't tell you what they should have done but i was like yeah I don't, I don't like the experience i had of frustration of trying to figure out why from my seat initially, because I was using the sprite as my hitbox, why like some bullets were completely passing through me and some of them were just killing me on the spot, you know? This this past five minutes I've spent reflecting, speaking to you guys, I realize I'm completely wrong here. Um, <laughs> James, you're right. The, the peripheral vision thing is a big thing. And just trying to track your hitbox in the wave of bullets when it's that small would be virtually yeah, nightmare. impossible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so may, maybe what I want is like, a square box as the visual indicator like a black box with a white dot in the middle or something something better than the i guess more aesthetically appealing lady riding a bug uh something more something more functional D don't you think it's strange in a game that's like so mechanically focused that one of the really important things of it, like like the hitbox, is like a little abstracted. Isn't that a bit odd? Yeah, I agree with that. Although I think what they did with having your... They have that little circle appear when you press the button. If that circle just matched the size of your hitbox, I wouldn't have a problem at all with it, basically. Mm -hmm. um, like, I think that's the perfect middle ground. Although I don't see why it can't be visible at all times. Um, like in all the Toho games, I believe, there's a white dot in the middle of your character that's just always visible. Um, I don't see why it couldn't be the case here. Like, I just think that information should be... Um, more obvious to the player and like when you boot up the game for the first time it should probably just show you you know this is your hitbox on a splash screen <laughs> for like a second um i want to ask you guys what you thought of the <coughs> bosses uh specifically one thing i notice is that in some ways going super slow in a boss fight is actually easier than moving around like there there are kind of two broad kinds of patterns in this game there's the patterns that are meant to be dodged with speed and the patterns that are meant to be dodged with precision 
Um, how did you guys feel about the boss fights, which tended to be f- uh, focused more on precision, and did you enjoy them more or less than the ones that were based on speed? I felt that the good boss fights had a good mix of both of these things. To me, the most exhilarating part of this game was the, you know, the tight precision kind of gameplay. Um, something interesting about these cave games is that these were originally made for arcade PCB boards. Um, and so they were developed on these PCBs in mind. And something that they did when designing these games is that they made it, like they tested and tested on this hardware that they had to the point where they could make these bullet patterns that were so intense that the hardware would slow down. Um, And you guys probably noticed the game slowing down when there's shitloads of stuff on screen, right? Um, And it was these moments in the game that my heart was like racing and I was trying my absolute hardest to like just get out of the way of the little bullets to me those were the highlights of the game although i think they are best when they are you know spaced pretty far between them so that they're like a special moment of you dodging rather than being you know a whole three minute segment sequence yeah i i completely agree with that it, it was one of the things and and i i, I to, to your point right is it's, it's a hardware limitation um but i i that is something that I definitely have some nostalgic experience for because the the old school bullet hells, I mean, like they would they would just melt the SNES yeah. when you know, like, and you could just feel it just groaning under the the weight of trying to register this many pixels, right? But it's it's such an, an interesting like uh, uh, hardware is actually like helping in this case. Yeah, like because... it's totally intentional, right? Like it's to yeah. make the game easier for the player in a sense while still making you feel you know, really good about yourself. Yeah, it's 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 like a weird uh, bullet time, you know, like in, yeah. in the Matrix, where all of a sudden it's like, well, we're going to slow this down for you because it's going to get really intense. Actually, we kind of have to because the hardware is about to set itself on fire. <laughs> but it, it, no, 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 it's 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 for you. It's this was a design choice, you know. So 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 this is apocryphal, but I was doing some reading about this, and apparently for one of Cave's games when they first released one of their games in 2011 or something, the hardware was much better and it didn't have any slowdowns and it was awful like the game was too hard so they literally had to hack in slowdowns like their old games to make the game function with their design principles so like you said it's fascinating because in theory it's a hardware limitation in practice this has a functional gameplay function and without it, the game would probably be worse. Yes. So <laughs> this is one of the only times I've ever said that the bad hardware is, isn't is a limitation and they haven't, you know, found genius and limitation. Without this limitation, the game becomes worse. Yeah, I, I, and I agree completely with you in the, the genius and limitation. I think that some of the, the best design stories in the industry come from when people are trying to work around limitations, like the, the, the fog in... Uh, um, Silent Hill 2. Thank you. Yes. So, so th- that horror game that everyone loves, right? Um, yeah. No, I mean, like like those those types of things, I feel like when the the, the medium really kind of reaches its zenith. And uh, yeah, so when, when basically they kind of said, you know, man, uh, w- it, great, great news. We don't have this design constraint anymore. It's like, yeah, but but keep it though, because it we actually kind of hit gold without intending to. 
Yeah, we, we, we discussed on a Silent 2 episode. You, you heard about the HD remaster of Silent Hill 2, yeah, right? Yeah, and how it was like hot yeah. garbage because they didn't... Well, they, they removed the fog, you yeah. know? It's like, it's oh, like we don't need that fog yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. So yeah, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad they didn't remove the slowdown here. It's the same with the remakes of the N64 Zelda games. The fog's gone and it's just... The, the atmosphere's just not quite the same. I can't enjoy it on the same level without that fog. So, yeah, agreed. <laughs> Um, does anyone else have any more notes about the moment-to-moment gameplay experience? Well, you were asking about how we felt about the boss fights, right? You never gave us your opinion. Yeah. Oh, well, basically, uh, like you guys, I enjoyed the slow moments of this game a lot more, particularly when there's a lot of these patterns. The patterns are kind of roughly divided into to two categories. There's the ones that the bosses kind of throw down the screen in a fairly static way. So your positioning doesn't matter they're throwing these elaborate patterns down the screen and then they'll also have patterns that are kind of homing in on you yes and what the bosses do and i mean it happens in a couple of other spaces but i think the thing that makes the bosses special is it combines these two things so you have these kind of overwhelming patterns coming down the screen but if that's all there was it'd be easy enough to slide back and forth the thing that makes these intense and challenging and fun is that you also have to be dynamically dodging these shots that are homing in on you and kind of not just moving right or up until the boss dies because they're they're long enough that you need to be moving back and forth across the screen and i found the most enjoyable version of these patterns were definitely the slow ones particularly when bullets were coming from the left and right hand sides because you had to get you had to get four directional with your movement. You had to be moving up and down as well as left and right to um to dodge them. So I think the bosses are all fantastic. Um, even the first one, which is a bit simple, but I mean it's a first boss, so that's okay. Uh, definitely the highlight of the game. And you know when that when that drum snare kicks in, I knew I was going to have a fun time. I I love the boss fights. I I would love to try a boss rush version of this game that was just like. 15 bosses in a row. I, I think it's the best part of the game by far. And and one of the, the things, not to, to wax too philosophical, but one of the things that I, I do find that's it's interesting about the bosses is I think that, that this would... And, and and I think that this is beyond the skill level of, of my son who's six. Um, but uh, <laughs> but but um, unless I just want him to like straight up stop playing video games, like you're playing too many video games, it, it, you you can only play one. It's Mushihime Sama. <laughs> um, but is that it, it? It kind of one of the things that a lot of the patterns do is they start very densely packed and then they they spread out through the screen. Mm. And by the time they get to you, right. There's there's area to move, but if you look at mm. if if you look far enough ahead, it looks impossible, right? Yeah. So I say that say like not only is that just kind of a cool thing, but I think that that's kind of also like a, a an interesting uh, kind of like life skill where it's like sometimes you're gonna look at a problem and it's gonna seem completely insurmountable, but just 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 deal with it in chunks. Like wait for it to kind of get to you, and then deal with the chunks you have to deal with at that time. You know, because if you if you try to navigate uh, a lot of the shots as they're fired to your point, right? Is that like some of them home in on you, some of them don't. So you kind of need to wait until the situation's close enough to you to actually develop a plan and then execute on it. And uh, yep. and not only do I think that that, that makes for a, a, an enjoyable video game, but I think that's also kind of a good life skill and a life lesson. Yeah, the game does this thing that I love, which is it makes your stomach drop to the floor only for <laughs> you to feel like this sigh of relief like a second later. So one of the mechanics is that 
Certain really large enemies, when you kill them, will destroy all the bullets on the screen at once. Mm -hmm. And something that a lot of the really big enemies do on the harder difficulties is when they're like 1% health left, they'll fire off this gigantic, undodgeable wave of bullets. (laughs) And you see it coming and you're like, what the fuck am I going to (laughs) do? Only for them to die just just before your death, killing all the bullets on screen and saving you. And they do this a lot of the time throughout the game with boss patterns that shoot off crazy things just before they you know go to phase two or the big enemies um and i found that to be immensely enjoyable uh like all through the game you know especially every time i got to a new difficulty and i wasn't quite sure at, you know how hard it was going to be um that that little sigh of relief every so often was really fun i thought it was really good um and you're you're bang on george about waiting for it to come to you because a lot of these patterns are very like secretly easy gentle and kind (laughs) right yeah Yeah. because a lot of them will be a volley gets fired but the amount of adjustment you need to do is tiny and in a lot of cases you don't need to do any adjustment at all because the pattern will naturally spread around you it happens all the time with a lot of the regular enemies like there'll be a pretty easy gap fairly large gap to to slide into so in some ways particularly on the easier difficulties the game is even easier than it seems as long as you're willing to do smaller adjustments instead of large ones large adjustments will often get you in big trouble when i think to your point too is uh um yeah i I agree completely yeah if you're if you're dodging all over the screen then you're probably screwing something up yeah um but i think i think too to your point is that uh one of the other things that this game does very well is is if you if you're willing to put in the time to gain the mastery that you need um it does a, a great thing that that is very very difficult to do in games which is um and and i forget the actual uh uh word for it but it's like it's like game as zen you know where it's like your eyes go into soft focus you know and you're able to just kind of play and react almost a little bit faster than you uh than you would in like normal life you know mm-hmm. um I, I, another great example of this is like playing guitar hero on expert you know where where you just kind of hit that flow and all of a sudden like your 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 hands kind of moving without your direct uh, blind input. sight blind, blind sight, sight is the word i think there yeah. you go so like like this game is able to kind of tap into that but uh, but yeah, it it definitely it's it's one of those, and that's really hard to do because you know, uh, if if you err too far on either side, it won't be challenging enough to get you there, or it'll it just destroys you outright, right? You know, so the fact that they are able to kind of throw this huge volley at you, but they're like they incentivize for you to be a little bit more still and a little bit more calm in the way that you approach that, I think shunts you closer to that that kind of zen like feeling. Yeah, because I guess for me, like what Patrick's talking about with the bullets kind of moving away from you, something I didn't quite understand when I first started playing is that I thought that the game, the way you ordered the difficulties would be like all the easy modes of the three different modes, then all of the maniacs, but it's completely different. It's like maniac, not novice maniac is so much easier than like original easy, just because the novice maniac bullets do go out of their way to dodge you basically. And one once you kind of notice that that's when you can get through that um i haven't really played like one of these types of shooters before but so- one of the things that stood out to me the most was that not only were the bullet patterns quite often 
you know, very fair and interesting to dodge in their own way from a gameplay point of view, but the majority of them were very, like, aesthetically pleasing as well, and oftentimes, <laughs> like, the bullets patterns from the boss was kind of, like, evocative of the boss's, like, physical design as well. Like, I mm. felt like a lot of the scorpion's attacks kind of reminded me of, like, sprays of poison or that kind of thing, or, like, its tail shooting out stingers. Um, I, I just loved seeing all the new ones every single time on each difficulty. I thought they did a great job of not only mechanically designing the patterns to dodge, but like artfully designing them, if that makes sense. James, that sounds like a good segue to us talking about graphics, if I've ever heard one. Well done. But uh, it's, I think we got to go to another music break. It's, a, it's about time. So um, after listening to that awful song that you suggested, I'm going to suggest a good song. And I think that the best one to go is, we, we should just go on to the boss music because... The boss music is, you know, just the boss music it repeats for the first four bosses, I think is the best music in the game. And we need a palate cleanser from from your music choice. So, so this is the boss music. I don't know what it's called, but it's the boss music. I hope you enjoy. That was the boss music, name of which Patrick couldn't remember. Um, but um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it too. It was one of the better tracks. Um, so we're going to go into a bit of a graphical discussion, and I'm hoping that George has a bit more, you know, technical knowledge than we do because usually we uh, skim over this. But for this one, I think it's a good idea to go into it in a bit more detail, um, as I think the. The, the visuals in this game tie into the gameplay quite a lot. No, I, I definitely agree. Uh, one of the things that the game does very well is it has, it has multiple planes, right? So mm. there's um, there's the ground plane and then there's like the mid-level and then the, 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 the sky, right? Um, one of the things that the game does very, very well, I think, is that it, it does not distinguish really between any of those mechanically, but it does visually, right? So if you have a minute to kind of actually sit down and take a look at, um, yeah, I think it's called like the, the parallax scrolling, right? The, yes. the different levels, you can, you can see that, you know, like the, the bugs on the ground, like, oh, those are, those are, those are ground bugs. And then you have these other ones that are, that are air bugs, right? And, uh, and, and so, 
But the fact that that is a fun, interesting visual thing and in no way informs the mechanics of it is, I think, very important because you're making split second decisions based off of, uh, off of you know, the, the, the visual information you're being fed. So you don't need to think like, okay, wait, no, this is a ground enemy, so I need to behave differently. But it is, uh, it is an interesting visual note, you know? It does add a lot to like the presentation of the game. Like even dozens of hours into it, I was noticing little details in the background and it kind of does add to the way the world is constructed. So the, I guess for me, the thing that I loved the most visually about this game was I felt like it was a chaotic mess, but it was a very um visually digestible chaotic mess in a lot of ways like <laughs> the the background and the enemies have these very like earthy tones to them that are kind of mm -hmm. like muted color palette More saturated yeah very colors, yeah, yeah. Yes. whereas the bullets and everything that can actually kill you is extremely bright and contrasting and always drawn on the top mm -hmm. layer of the visuals so nothing ever mm -hmm. gets in the way of you you know being able to see what's coming for you like i think they did a very fantastic job of making everything that can kill you easy to see this this game uh looks incredible i i agree with you guys in, in some ways i think this is one of the best looking games we've done for the show like everything is so everything you guys said is true like that fusion of gameplay and visuals but also just there is a tremendous amount of detail in each and every scene and i think we'd be amiss if we didn't mention level three, three yeah <laughs> where where the entire level you are traveling up and down what i can only call an aircraft carrier kaiju bug mm -hmm. and you start at its tail you do both sides and you eventually move to its head or maybe vice versa it's hard to say but that level just just incredibly creative very compelling beautiful from start to finish at times it gets a little uh visually messy when you have those eyeball bugs yes. and you can't really see what's happening but that level's just phenomenal from a oh, yeah. visual point and, of view. And, and to your point, I think that one of the other things that they do very well is uh, one of the things that we'll see in in older school video games is uh, a lot of like palette swapping. And you're like, okay, well, we made like five bad guys. And then, you know, there's the normal one and then the hard one and that one's purple. And then the super hard one and that one's red. You know, this game has mm -hmm. none of that. It's, it's every single enemy is like very uniquely and lovingly crafted. Um, and, uh, and, but the thing is that each enemy does behave in a certain way you know so it is it is rememberable and memorizable so to that that point of like you know uh, acquired skill over time that mastery of the game you can eventually internalize like oh this this enemy has does does this thing and this enemy does another thing but the sheer number of different enemy types and different sprites that they made for the game really kind of shows that they that they really cared you know they they really uh they, they really wanted to make a very visually stunning game and i think that the reason behind that is because the the main type of driver i think for continuing to want to master this game is to see all of the new pretty things that are on the the the, the screen right you know like like so if i'm sitting there playing in a, if i'm in an arcade and i've got 50 quarters or 10 quarters or how many quarters i have right um i'm gonna go to the game that uh i'm excited to play and excited to get further down and if all of a sudden i hit a game over i'm like yeah that was fine uh but in this game i feel like if i hit a game over and again i've, I've got to pay quarters I, I can't just hit start right i'd be more than happy to pump some more quarters and to just see what the next thing is you know yeah and i think they do a really good job also of having different um visual tones almost like i think mm -hmm. the most striking one for me is on stage four 
You go from this crazy huge kaiju bug on stage three to this more serene, tranquil uh, kind of flight through a watery cave system. And near the end, there's this section with these really long, you know, like dragonfly things. Um, and it's just, it's very difficult but the fucking hate it. It's so tranquil. Hate right? You hate that bit. <laughs> it's, it's so hard, that right? Is, that bit with the dragons is my least favorite part of the entire game. <laughs> fucking loathe it. Cannot stand. I you, ca you can't kill them all. Like I, you can't. Like so, mm. you're you're going to be getting fire on your flanks no matter what you do. And it's just it. There's heaps of slowdown, but uh, erratic slowdown depending on how efficient you were with your bombs. And I think you can. Yeah, I. I can, can you kill them all? Because I could not figure out how to what kill them all. What shot type are you using? I, th I, th I think uh, James just said, get good. The middle you know? one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds like he did. Yeah. But I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take them all out. Yeah, I think I was using the S type, the more concentrated fire. And with that and mm. holding the slow... Because um, in this game, you can pick... To, it, to zoom your formation. Yeah, you can. in this game, you can pick up these power-ups that give you these little auxiliary ships that fly around you. And one of the things that pressing the, the fly slowly button does is that not only it makes it easier to dodge precise patterns, but it brings the ships in close to you. So you do this like concentrated beam of fire. And, and we mentioned there are three shot types in this game. The one Patrick was using, it's called wide shot. Um, and mm. what it does really well is it basically clears the whole screen at once. If you're. No, I, was, I was using the medium one, whatever the. Oh, the top, the like the number one. one. The first one in the list. Whatever, whatever the medium one was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, the red one. The red one. The red one. Yeah, that's the middle one. The wide shot. Yeah. 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 Oh, so that's the widest one. That's okay. the widest one, yeah. Um, whereas yeah. narrow is only as wide as the character, basically. Um, mm -hmm. Well, a bit, you know, two two characters wide. So for me, with the because the 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 S type, the narrow shot has a bit faster movement, which I found was really useful. Um, I was able to just clear those dragonflies out if I did it like perfectly, but I can understand you not doing that on that one. Part of me also wonders with like localization on that, like what 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 it was in in the original Japanese, you know, because to me like medium that makes sense and wy that makes sense, and then s I'm like wait that 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 one that one throws me, you know, so like speed I don't know that's what I thought. yeah right like yeah. Like, because I believe like C for concentrated or L for line, you know, but it's like, or S power. And it's like, uh, uh, okay, sure. I pro probably made sense in Japanese, you know, somewhere. The word for narrow does start with S actually. So it probably is. Wow, that. What a weeb, James. Yeah. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> um, another minor note on the graphics. I think that the animation is really well done. Uh, even just the regular like ladybugs kind of walking across with a gun turret shooting at you looks fantastic but there's a couple of details i want to point out the first one is the scorpion kind of residing under the corpse of another dead bug and it kind of backs out as you approach it you can see the boss kind of hiding there as you get closer and probably my favorite animation in the whole game i think is the boss of level two like the red one who's kind of it's like sitting there on the side of a canyon wall and as you get closer it comes off the canyon wall and flies into frame and i just thought that those moments were really um really fantastic those kind of like more creative introduction of these bosses than them just appearing out of thin mist did you um did you ever fail to kill the scorpion yes once i did yeah i did once fail to kill him because 
as the more you play, the the less it becomes about killing things, and the more it becomes about dodging things. I think. Yeah, and then you notice like when you don't kill him, he's backing up as you're shooting him. He goes into this little cave because you yep. can't like interrupt the flow of the level, you know, because it's on a set timer. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Well, my favorite animation. There's this big. It's like a butterfly or a moth kind of enemy. Um, and what it does is its attack, it like shimmers its wings and the bullets come out in time with the shimmering wings. It looks really great. I love it. Uh, I completely agree with Patrick. I think this game is visually fantastic and all the animations absolutely hold up and even look really good for today, I think. Yeah, I, I agree completely on, on all fronts of that as well. I think, though, too, one of the other things that they that they do really well um, with both the... Uh, um, it, I don't know what they're called, but the gold pieces that you pick up, whatever those are. The Doritos. Yes, the Doritos. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> the Doritos. Yeah, in, in a post-apocalyptic future where all currency is based in Doritos. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think that that the the way, not only do those kind of look cool because they're, they're shiny, but the way that they just kind of all funnel into your ship just gives makes my brain drip that happy chemical man like it just yeah. it just yeah. feels good right there's a specific bit in level one where you take out these windmills and there's lots of tiny bugs yep. crawling on these tree trunks <laughs> I, they just drop so many doritos i just i love it every single time even though they pose zero challenge yeah it, it is funny because none of us care about the score that the doritos give it's just the feel of collecting them feels good yeah because i agree yeah. with you it's just having them suck up into your ship is like yep this it, this game's great it's kind of the, the same uh the same feeling to me like when you win win a huge hand in poker and you just get to like grab all the chips and yeah. pull them towards yeah. you it's that it's that that's same a, feeling comparison yeah. yeah it's like oh i got all of the things and, and i think that, that that's got to be like some old school evolutionary thing in our brains <laughs> that just says like i got all of the things i don't care what they are i don't care what their value is i just got them all <laughs> um anyone have any more notes about graphics Honestly, I'm. I have. Um, I have one other kind of big miscellaneous note that I'd like to cover. If you guys don't mind me, yeah, I still have a bunch of gameplay stuff. I think, but well, yeah, this, go for this, it. this is a gameplay thing. But uh, I kind of missed talking about it earlier. So, when when I moved up to the higher levels of difficulty, one thing I noticed, like probably one of the biggest differences, is that the little ships fire at you. Yes. And one of the things, it's kind of interesting, going in on novice is almost a trap. You're, you're, getting, you're getting such a shallower version of the game experience when you're only really dodging fire from the larger enemies that it feels like a necessary evil almost because as a new player, you can't deal with the difficulty of original off the bat. But at the same time, I think that you're not getting the true game un- unless you play an original because then those enemies actually serve a function instead of just being enemies that melt under your bullets. What 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 do you guys think? Do you th- do you think I'm onto something? Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think that that there is something to say about um kind of like the scaffolding needed to get you to that place. But I think that hmm. the game's not may I mean in the same way that. And actually, this is this is a, a slightly tangential, but uh, one of the things I, I've spoken about uh, before is is like necessary games literacy, right? So one of the things I think that people, uh, you know, in, in in our circles that that we get really excited about video games, we like video games. Obviously, we wouldn't we wouldn't be doing podcasts about them if we didn't, <laughs> right? Um, 
but one of the mistakes that I know I've personally made, and I try not to, is to um, make game recommendations that are not in line with the person's game literacy. So like, I love the game The Last of Us, and I'm like, oh man, you should play this game, except for the fact that you don't, you can't even play Mario, right? So you got to play Mario first. And, and so there, there's sometimes I'll recommend games where I'm like, this game isn't amazing, but it teaches a specific skill that you'll need to have in order to play the games that I want you to play, right? So it's, it's the mm-hmm. it kind of reading hop on pop so that way you can read faust right you know um i say all that to say that the game is not meant to be played on novice it's meant to be played on the higher difficulties but you i I can't just hand you know um you know pride and prejudice to my six-year-old and say it's a great book because it is you know but like he needs that scaffolding in order to get there yeah because original was the original was the difficulty that the arcade cabinet was on um and that i believe that um, these ports added the novice difficulty, which honestly is a great inclusion because, you know, I definitely could not have jumped me, into me too. Like, I, original I'm not, without it. Like, I, I'm not trying to say I'm hot shit and I <laughs> wanted to go straight to original because I didn't. I needed my time playing novice. It's just that looking back on my time in novice now that I'm playing original, it feels like such a shallow version of the game i'm playing now where all the enemies are shooting at me and it's engaging from stage one that almost yeah and maybe it's just a necessary evil to onboard people i just wonder if there was a different way to do it yeah it's interesting because i i guess i feel it as a form of progression like whenever i boot up stage one and i have to dodge those first like six enemies i remember you know how hard i found maniac on novice when they didn't shoot (laughs) um so you know i it gives me a bit of joy when i see those things fire up for the first time so but i agree it's like it's like the real deal right (laughs) yeah (laughs) it is it is the way the game was meant to be played you know uh, but yeah, I, I do think that um, having some degree of uh, stepping sense, and again, it does um, it does uh, allow them to hit hit a larger audience. So people who, you know, don't don't have the game's literacy to just kind of jump in and 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 understand exactly how everything's going, it gives them a little bit of space to breathe. But again, and I think that that this is where um, it, it it just is what it is, right? But it's because this is a an arcade port, is where I don't I think if a game was being built from the ground up the game would have funneled the player in the correct directions, you know, and said like, Hey, Hmm. why don't you start here? Or, you know, like give it, give it a little bit more guidance and more suggestion instead, because it was an arcade port, they basically said, well, here's the base game. We're going to do a good thing. And we're going to, we're going to give a novice difficulty. So that way people have that stepping stone. Isn't that a great idea? Yes. And then, and then it was shipped, right. As opposed to a game being built from the ground up, they would have said, all right, we're going to build kind of a tutorial section and we're going to, to approach it that way from the beginning, you know, instead this was an add on later. Yeah. Something I guess I wanted to talk about was that, so we mentioned it before, but this game is clearly, it's like for a niche audience, right? Mm -hmm. Like people who want to play it over and over again to optimize the shit out of their gameplay. Um, People who really like, you know, this practice style gameplay. And I think that for those kind of players, which I, you know, I think I am Mm -hmm. one of, I think something that's really important is that the game feels very fair Mm -hmm. and that at no point in playing this game did i ever feel like the game was bullshit that there was some (laughs) boss that was too hard like i always thought you know i could play better and to me that's like 
you know, the gold standard for the, you know, a practice game being enjoyable. Like if I play a game like this and I ever feel like that, I don't think it's a good game basically. And I thought that this game was very fair, um, both visually and, you know, mechanically the entire time. I, I, I can agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that completely. And one of the things that, that I found, uh, I, I didn't see it as much in this game, but I think it's just because I, I, I didn't really get the opportunity to get quite as deep into it. Um, I, I did not get good, as it were. Uh, but uh, <laughs> um, is that uh, is it typically if a game like this feels fair, it probably isn't. It's probably actually weighted in your favor, you know. Mm. Um, and that's one of the key things that video games like this have to do. Like, so we we kind of mentioned before is that what they call out as your hitbox isn't quite your hitbox. It's a little bit bigger yeah. because then. If it does actually hit and kill you, you're like, nah, that 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 got me, you know. Um, mm. As opposed to if it was actually that that perfect representation, there would be times when it it winged it and and it was technically fair, but it wouldn't feel that way, you know. So I think that they did a good job making the right decisions to make it feel fair and still maintain the illusion of uh, equanimity, but uh, but it's 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 actually weighted a little bit in your favor. Yeah, that I, I agree with that, George, because there's definitely times when I dodge something and I was like, well, if you want to give me that to me as a dodge, I'm going to take it. But I didn't feel like I'd earned it. I'm like, how the fuck did I not die there? And that happens when you play this game. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's it's probably even more in your favor than you expect. Yeah, we mentioned this on the Celeste episode too. That game is full of stuff like this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and obviously here, uh, I definitely ran into this stage where I thought I was moving through two solid overlapping bullets and just <laughs> went straight through the middle and was like, oh my God, I can do this now. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting because I think the advanced players will take these you know, these limitations and then start to abuse them in their own way. And that can be fun too, right? Well, also on ultra mode you probably have to yeah <laughs> from, from what i've seen of ultra mode it stops being um kind generosities to play and starts becoming necessary for survival for, for the the ultra mode what i saw online it looks more like one of those magic eyes you know like with, <laughs> with, with all the bullets like i saw that and i was like oh that and literally i my, my first, first thought was that's pretty and then my second thought was oh wait every single one of those dots would kill me and i was like oh wait now now it's less pretty <laughs> It's interesting how much threat you feel from the screen, even though maybe 5% of the bullets on screen are actually a threat to you. I mm, think yeah. just the sheer number of bullets is kind of enjoyable in its own way because of that. I think if I played one of these games on like a public computer at a library and there, someone would stand behind me with their jaw open when it's not as hard as they think, right? Yeah, no, yeah they actually... think it's like how are you so good at this game it's like <laughs> it's way harder than you think <laughs> sorry it's way 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 easier than you think yeah yeah no no, no. you gotta tell them it's way harder you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah no actually that's a really fair point I, I did not think about that at all but that's fascinating is that like there, there are definitely sections where you know as you said the bullets are firing at you and tracking to you but there are some of the bullet patterns where they fire these like giant flowers of bullets and all the ones being fired to the back unless you have really screwed up they're 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 mm. absolutely never going to touch you but uh mm. but it does make it look way more intimidating that's that's fascinating i like that um anyone mm. have any other major notes i'm kind of coming towards the end of mine yeah i'm i'm good yeah i'm i'm mostly good here i think i've got hit everything i've wanted to for oh, that that sounds an awful lot like wrap-up time then <laughs> um let let's start with you george as i guessed um 
tell us what you think of Mushi Masama. Man, I'm really good at pronouncing it now. Nailing uh, it. And um, <laughs> I nail it every time. And um, would you recommend it uh, to you know people new or old to bullet hell genres? Tell us your thoughts. So I would definitely recommend this game um, to a very specific, as we kind of mentioned, a, a, a niche a niche audience. One of the things that I would stress to people if they said, "Man, I loved bullet hell games when I was a kid," I would stress the fact that. Um, they, the bullet hell genre seems to have dropped a lot of improvisation and really amped up practice gameplay, right? So um, it's not to say that they've completely eschewed it, but like what you remember as a bullet hell game, there, it's, it's, it's way more focused on that practice gameplay. And uh, for, for Mushihami Isama, uh, you, see, you see, I don't have the practice on it. I, I, I flubbed <laughs> it. <laughs> for, for this game in particular, um, I would say that absolutely, if somebody said like, I'm looking for a game to spend hours on mastering, this is the game. This is a great game for that. If somebody's looking for a game that they're just kind of, you know, wanting to passively enjoy, this probably wouldn't be the game I'd recommend. But if somebody says like, I really like games where uh, I, I love the challenge aesthetic, like I love a game that is challenging and where it takes time. Like I, I've got 20, 30 hours to throw at this and I'm willing to throw it at one game that I want to get really good at, then this would be a good recommendation for that. I absolutely adore this game to pieces. Um, you know, I I said on the last episode that, you know, usually we start playing this episode uh, at the start of our two weeks and then we do our recording. Um, and I downloaded this on Steam, you know, just as we started playing Splinter Cell for episode 79. And then I was like, I'll just give it a go to make sure it's okay and that this is the game I want to choose because I spent a long time researching which one to play. And then I played the game for like, you know 20 hours before the two weeks of playing it actually started and then i played it for some more so i fell head over heels for this one you know visually and aesthetically i love everything about it and just the the gameplay is so enjoyable to me like there is something intrinsically fun about dodging enemies attacks in all games basically like i love it in dark souls and all these other games that let you dodge this is just pure bliss for me right <laughs> like it's just weaving in amongst these beautiful patterns of bullets um i agree that not everybody is gonna love this one as much as i do you need to come into this one understanding that this is a game you know for playing over and over and over and getting you know really good and invested into it but if you are looking for that kind of thing i think that this is one of the most enjoyable experiences there is out there for that you know particular audience so i wholeheartedly recommend this one uh as is often the case this is a very tough one for me uh I really enjoy the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay of this game. Um, I'm I'm generally in the same mold that James is in that I like these practice-based games like Fury, one of my favorite games of all times. I died as I'm as I've said before, 85 times to Father Al in Sekiro, doing that boss fight over and over and over again over three nights, and I really enjoyed the mastery of that kind of um, that gameplay. So. On the surface, this game is perfect for me, but I have a fundamental problem when the game is so structured towards this concept of a one credit clear and the ability to break that game up into different bits and pieces to give me a kind of replication of the kind of challenge I'm afterwards doesn't actually do the job because all of those bits and pieces I still laser focus towards this concept of a one credit clear. And I think that the alternative of pumping quarters 
is completely useless as a game without any challenge whatsoever. I think on balance, as a person who's completely new to this genre, as a person who's never played before, I can't really give it a recommending good conscience. I don't really know what's out there. I don't know what the alternative is. But given the depth and history of the genre, I imagine, and I can probably say with a decent amount of confidence, that there is a better game for you to play as a stepping stone to this one, which seems to be about as hardcore as it gets so yeah so just just a note here i want to interject i specifically chose this game because people online said it was one of the easier ones (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i i mean if it's if it's novice difficulty specifically and the existence of that i can see that but i'm talking maybe more uh historical james like like older games because it probably is the an easier one compared to as george said like new bullet hell shooters but perhaps there's a better i have in this genre i have genre illiteracy you know (laughs) it'd be like suggesting i don't know basically my understanding is that this term bullet hell um or like denmark or whatever refers to a specific type of shoot 'em up like this one where there's just a million bullets um and there's plenty of other stuff like you know gradius and all those other games that are a lot more you know friendly to players not wanting to you know hone their ex- precision and 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 actually one of the things that that um and this is a discussion i've had a, a number of times is that one of the issues i think that video games suffer from in general is the fact that we categorize video games based off of mechanics and not aesthetics you know so um for example uh first person shooter right portal portal's a first person shooter but you would never <laughs> recommend that to somebody who was looking for a first person shooter right because that's not what the, what they're saying that they want you know mm-hmm. um so when you say bullet hell, it's like it's it, it kind of gets you in the area, you know. But uh, um, I'd say if you're looking for a good bullet hell game, Gradius is a good one um, that, that, that I enjoyed. Uh, Gradius UN Squadron or also to enter the dungeon is, I think, a great bullet hell game that uh, is very approachable. But definitely at the later levels, it, it looks a lot like Mushihime-sama. <laughs> It's very hard as yeah. That game is tough as hell. I I haven't beaten that game. I haven't beaten the final boss. I, I beat it, it once, yeah. but like it was one of those weird. I rolled like three natural twenties in a row, and like that was it. You know, like it just and, and I was like, good, I beat it, and and now I can rest easy. But I don't think I could do it again. Yeah. So so James, I'm not I'm not saying that. You know, I'm just saying that there must be a better way for me to get to a point where this game is reasonable. <laughs> there must there must be a better pathway for me. Because, yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad game. In a lot of ways, it's a good game. But I guess coming from my point of view, someone who's new to the genre, I didn't like the structure of this game. And, the, and because of that, the difficulty was too much. So I respect the game for what it is, but um, I wouldn't recommend it on balance. Okay, so um, that sums it up. We've got a uh, mixed feelings on the quality of, of Mushihima-sama, <laughs> but it, it's certainly a very interesting game and definitely better than any JRPG you could have picked, James. So thank you for that. So for those uh, who want to find our content, our website is rspodcast.net. It's got all of our stuff on there, all of our episodes, a bunch of articles we've written, a bunch of links to everything, the most important of which is definitely our Discord server. Um, We'd love if you would drop by and join the conversation. If you have experience with this genre, tell us why we're wrong or why we're right. That happens occasionally as well. Um, And yeah, we'd love if you drop by. Um, 
so George, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for giving us your vaunted wisdom as a veteran <laughs> of the past or somewhat. Um, Tell everyone where they can find you at Nostalgia Goggles or anywhere else. Again, you can find us on uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Fireside. You can find us on Google Podcasts. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. All 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 of the podcasting things. Um, and uh, yeah, come by, give us a listen, and we'd be happy to have you. And again, thank you so much for having me. I, it's been a blast. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's always good to have uh, have another perspective. It, it stops James and I going insane. <laughs> yeah, it's nice having a second reasonable voice on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am not the most reasonable at times. I thought the big mystery was going to be which one was the reasonable one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, I, I fully admit I'm not. I am the unreasonable one. And I think James and I have settled into that dynamic for a while. Uh, so... Fortnite time. I haven't even told Fortnite, you. Fortnite? That game's not old enough. Uh, man, I hope if that's the first time we've made this joke in the past three years, I. Uh, <laughs> it's a success. It's a success or a failure. I'm not sure which. But anyway, the game that we are doing in a fortnight's time, James, is GoldenEye. Oh, is it? You, you told me you were going to tell me what game we were going to play like two weeks ago, and then you didn't. I know. Well, I've, I've made my decision now. We're going to be playing GoldenEye specifically. We're with an GoldenEye. N64 controller. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'd rather shoot myself. Well, you, you, you might if you play it with an N64 controller. <laughs> okay, you can possible. shoot yourself, but you have to do it with an N64 controller. <laughs> yeah. I'll never die. It's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> That's another title of a James Bond movie, right? Uh, probably. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so there's a mouse and keyboard hack for GoldenEye. So I'm using it 100% because playing an FPS on a regular controller is painful enough. Playing on a Nintendo 64 controller is insanity. I'm going to be playing on mouse and keyboard and we're going to finally answer the question, James, of whether console shooters have any merit whatsoever. Because that, that's what I want to find out. Like, do con Because people praise GoldenEye as one of... The well, console plebs praise GoldenEye as, as a fantastic shooter. And... I want to know if there's any merit to it because basically console shooters are generally pretty terrible. I mean, I think we can all agree to that, right, guys? I kind of, I kind of take <laughs> issue with this idea of not using the original control scheme because these people you're referring to are definitely saying, "I loved GoldenEye when I played it with a controller." I think it's gonna, I think we're gonna find it's too easy with mouse and keyboard. Having played it recently, actually, I can, I can attest to the fact that what, what I would recommend is, um play it with the original controller and then if you actually if you actually want to review it switch to the mouse and keyboard because like like otherwise your only note is going to be these controls suck well that's it james i want to give it the best possible chance to succeed here and if i review it on a controller then it's just going to get an automatic failure so let's give it a chance all right i mean i'll give it a go with both input methods and then tell you why you're wrong next fortnight but, uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes i'm interested because i've played through goldeneye a few times actually oh really i've played yeah. in bits and pieces at friends places but that's it yeah because we always had it on the school computers and in, in like grade nine or something we'd just play it in ipt it was good. It was fun. Getting uh, getting networks working when we were like 14-year-olds <laughs> wasn't very, very easy. Yeah, well, I, I guess we'll find out. So thank you, everyone, for listening so far. Thank you. Special thank you to you, George, for coming on. Thank you. And um, we'll see you all in a fortnight for GoldenEye. See you then, guys. Bye.